And the subject of our lesson is Jesus is Enough. Philippians 4.19, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. He is enough. Hebrews chapter, well, we skipped that verse there. It is on screen, sorry. Hebrews 7.25, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Again, he's enough. We've been looking at the uttermost, the full completion, the bringing of God's purpose and salvation to a full end. Um, things that are well beyond our reach. As we look at ourselves, as we're, as we're realistic, it's, it's something we need to recognize. We are not able to do certain things. Now, we don't want to be like the ten spies and say, we are not able and stop. But with God's help, I can do all things. Who's enough? Jesus is enough. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so there are things that are well beyond our reach, uh, but Christ is enough. I, this isn't in my notes, but I'm going to put this out here. I've had people say, well, I'm just so weak. I just don't think I can. And I, You know, that isn't humility. That, in a sense, is a kind of pride. I am so weak that God can't do anything with me because my weakness is greater than his strength. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. So when we look at ourselves and we recognize that some of what he says, to sit in his throne with him, to be joined heirs with him, uh, this thing about the bride and the better resurrection, when we realize that, that our weakness can be a hindrance, we simply need, <clears throat> simply need to look to Christ instead of always looking in the mirror at ourselves. Uh, I, 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 well, again, I'm going off my notes, so I may not finish my notes today, but I remember a period of time when it seemed like the Lord only let me see my own weakness, my own frailty, my own failure, and I tend to see my weakness. If I look back over my life, the things that stick out the most are the you know, the things when I didn't do this right or the things when I didn't do that right, but... That focus on self is a recipe for spiritual failure. But Christ Jesus is enough. Last week we finished uh, looking at the better resurrection uh, spoken of in Hebrews 11.35. Paul referred to it as, uh, well, in Philippians 3.11, the ex-anastasine, or out-resurrection. So it is an out-resurrection from Uh, this life from the dead but also a separate company it's an outtaking Uh, when we begin to think about the the bride the lamb's wife which was the next thing we started on we saw that in second corinthians 11 2 paul said for i am jealous over you or zealous with a godly zeal i'll read it as it is in the Translation, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I've betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Uh, The concern that he had for them, I mean, there was no reason for him to speak of having a zeal and a very deep concern and an interest in seeing them move forward if there wasn't a possibility they might not move forward in this. And so he continued in verse 3 there, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. So your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity 
that is in Christ. The word translated simplicity there speaks of singleness. Um, And we understand, I think we understand, that when you are ready to commit your life in a relationship to another person, when you're intending to be married, there needs to be a singleness of focus, doesn't there? The decision that this is the person that I will live with for the rest of my life and I'll commit myself to. And he was concerned that they would be uh, corrupted from that singleness of focus on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, uh, that corruption can be a looking to a man, a spiritual leader, a religious leader more than to Christ, looking to self more than to Christ, or looking to the world and being drawn to the world instead of to Christ. But that passage, if I had no other passage, that passage alone would be enough to tell me that even though we have, by the new birth, been spiritually purified, uh, the cleansing of that new birth, uh, so that we're called chaste virgins spiritually, and, and having been betrothed to Christ as, a, as, as well, those things are not an assurance, a guarantee of our being in that company called the bride. Not a guarantee that that betrothal will come to fruition. Otherwise, no cause for concern. That concern is expressed. And there are other passages that deal with this as well. Uh, another key passage, though, that we didn't get to last week is concerning the bride is Revelation 19.7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. Why, why would we give him glory? Because he's the one that brings this to pass, really. We submit, but he brings it to pass. Give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Um, last week we considered the fact that the imagery of the bride and the marriage of the Lamb are definitely figurative. That is, they're symbolic pictures uh, selected by the Holy Spirit to present uh, a literal spiritual truth. Uh, to speak of those who allow God to take them to the highest, to the uttermost extremes of his purpose, his plan for salvation. But there are other pictures. If you go to, and I'm not going to put these up on screen as far as the text themselves, but in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, Paul compares this group of devoted believers, committed believers, compares them to disciplined athletes. Uh, you know, you don't become a, an Olympic champion unless you exercise discipline and diet, exercise, sleep, distractions. There has to be a decision. My life needs to be disciplined. Uh, and then also you have to learn the rules. If you don't follow the rules, uh, you know, the referee is going to throw down the flag or whatever they do. You can tell I'm a football fan. <clears throat> uh, they follow the rules and the patterns to keep themselves from being disqualified. As, so it's those who run life's race with the intention of obtaining the prize of God's best. It doesn't happen accidentally. There's a decision made. In the Song of Solomon, and again, I'm not reading any of these passages, but in the Song of Solomon, also in Revelation 3.12 and Revelation 21.9 and the verses following that, and elsewhere in Scripture, they're pictured in architectural terms. There's a day that he speaks of the church being built together and holy temple. So we allow God to place us and to 
sort of clean us up. You know, when the, the old temple was built, there wasn't the sound of a tool or a hammer as that was done because the stones had been prepared before they were put into place. So there is a preparation going on now, and God has a structure that he is intending to build up solidly and to his glory. Uh, in Revelation 19, verses 11 through 14, you see them as victorious warriors following the Lord Jesus Christ into battle. Uh, you've read Ephesians 6, that's not on the screen there, but in Ephesians 6 we're told to put on the whole armor of God and, and to enter into this warfare. Uh, and so there are victorious warriors. We've got athletes, we have a structure, we have victorious warriors. In this connection, the, ro- the woman picturing the bride in Proverbs 31.10 uh, through 31 is spoken of in that verse, verse 10, uh, in in the uh, both the old King James version, New King James version, most other versions as being virtuous, the virtuous woman. And uh, I picture her sitting on a pillow and sewing a fine seam and doing embroidery and things like this, and just being really, really, really good, you know. But if you read it, there's this description of this very active person. She's a merchant. She makes things. She does things. She has charge over her household. Uh, but that word translated virtuous, the Hebrew word ha'il, is mistranslated virtuous, but it literally speaks of being strong, of being mighty, of being brave, of being valiant. It's it generally used to speak of being valiant in battle, speaking of soldiers or armies. I got curious and I looked at the Spanish translations, and the oldest translations used it in that term, being valorous or strong. But you get to the latest translation, they adopted the English pattern, so she's a virtuous woman. Well, I don't know. You know, I, I think we ought to go with what God says. Again, some of these pictures cross over. So here is a, a valorous woman, the bride. She's more than just sitting on a pillow somewhere. There's a warfare going on. She's an active person. And so uh, we don't want to lock ourselves into just one picture of what God wants to bring us into. Because if we do, we risk not allowing Christ to do everything for us and in us that he wants to do. He laid hold of us for a purpose. We don't want to just select the peace we want the piece that's somehow attractive to us, and say, that's what I want him to work in me. We want to see his entire purpose. And I have seen in the circles that I have grown up in, there has been kind of too much of a narrowing down, I believe, so that we're just pictured with, we're just presented with the one picture, and uh, a lot of things are missing. And I'll come back to that in a few moments, perhaps. But going back to Revelation 19, 7, Uh, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And so I will say there is a figurative picture here, but it's talking about something literal. There will be an event. There will be a time. There will be an occasion that will bring Christ Jesus, the lamb of God, our savior, into the completion of the union of companionship that he desires with those that are willing to accept that, to commit themselves to him. Uh, that, that place of being able to share everything, uh, joint heirs, sharing authority with them, sitting in his throne, uh, this is what he desires 
And again, those that say very humbly, they think, well, I'll just be satisfied to be in heaven and that'll be enough. I don't want to be greedy. We want to satisfy him, don't we? And this is his desire, is to have that companionship and full sharing. But I don't know if you picked up on the latter part of that verse. His wife has made herself ready. Now, what does that mean? We can set ourselves a series of tasks based on that, some, some boxes we need to check and some things we need to get done in our lives. Um, but consider a bride. How does a bride make ready for her wedding day? Well, she goes out and she buys a lot of needles and thread and a lot of cloth and she makes a design and then she sews that dress. No, she doesn't. She lets somebody else make that dress for her. And most of the time, somebody else does her hair. Am I right? Now, you know, I didn't have that worry when I got married because I wasn't the bride, right? But, you know, just drag a comb across my head, I'm good to go, but not good enough. And, and very often, they will have somebody do their makeup for them. She's getting ready. But she's not doing it all on her own. She's actually submitting to what others can do for her. I think of the example of Esther. Esther Esther has been used as a picture of the bride, and I I think the situation is too imperfect for us to really draw that kind of uh, imagery out of it. She was in a, a very difficult situation. The man who made her his queen was just not a picture of Christ on any level whatsoever. Uh, but she is a picture of humility and of someone who accepted another's guidance in her preparations to meet the king. In Esther chapter 2, verses, uh, verse 15, the beginning of that verse, Now when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his daughter to go into the king, she requested nothing but what Haggai the king's eunuch, the custodian of the women, advised. So there was one there that knew the king. There was one there that knew what would please the king. And Esther didn't try to sort things out on her own. She let somebody else guide her. And uh, again, we could take this as just a sort of a stepping off point to say we need the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We need to let the Holy Spirit lead us and show us what needs to be done in our lives. Um, And so... Uh, if we sort of review in advance how this body of people committed, dedicated, devoted, practical, faithful believers, how will they have made themselves ready? Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 13. And he, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, the sufficient one. Now, by the way, you see the word to be in red. I'm going to leave them out because they're not there in the Greek. And he himself, that is Christ, gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, 
There was for a time a kind of a fad that swept through a certain portion of the church, and that was body ministry, and they sort of wanted to leave off the pastors and the teachers, what have you, just just whoever wants to will minister to others. There is a place of usefulness for every member of the body of Christ. But the Lord Jesus Christ established this order. There are pastors and teachers primarily today. The apostles and prophets are built into the foundation. The foundation was finished a long time ago. Uh, But this is a practical thing, is to equip us, prepare us for the doing of God's will. Uh, It is for the building up of the body. And it's going to last until we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. When you look at the church of whole, as a whole, do you see the whole church having come to a place where we're at that point of, you know, unity of faith, unity of knowledge? We don't. So this is an age-lasting purpose. God sets down men and women to minister, to prepare his people, to, uh, that, that preparation is right there, the equipping of the saints. So it's not wise merely to look at the people involved in ministering and preparation. They are appointed and provided by Christ himself, the all-sufficient one, for a purpose. And this is a part of our preparing process, making ready. Uh, Consider also Ephesians chapter 5, verses uh, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. And I'll pause here, and how generally, yes, I read my Bible daily, I trust you do too. But on a, on a broad sense, we get a lot of cleansing. I remember <laughs> a work day at the church where um, my father labored in Tulsa alongside Brother Warren Shibley, and a uh, fella came in, he was a big man, and he came, was looking at his pew and sort of touching it. Finally, somebody said, what are you doing? He said, well, I, I, that Thurman Sunday morning made me squirm so much, I just wanted to see if the varnish was still on the seat. But, you know, we get some cleansing through the word of God. Uh, well, moving on. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Now, again, practicality tells us, as we look at many of the church organizations, denominations, groupings, there's a lot of blemishes. There's a lot of spots. There's a lot of things going wrong, and it's true of individuals as well. Again, I don't believe, you know, if somebody can take that passage and build on it and say, see there, the whole church is the bride. I don't accept it. Years ago, someone lent me some things published by a group in Chicago. I tried to uh, get access to those again recently and wasn't successful, but they saw the bride as a distinct group, uh, not the church as a whole. And based on this passage, they spoke of the bride as the church within the church. And I think that's an excellent way to phrase it. Uh, The Greek word translated church is ekklesia. Ek meaning out, kaleo meaning to call. It was a word used when they would call out the citizens of a a city to uh, gather for town meetings and what have you. But it speaks of a called out group of people, of people called to go out and meet together 
for a purpose, an agreed-upon purpose. And so it will be with the bride when the marriage of the Lamb has come. I'm going to use they, we, because it may be they and it may be we. You know, I, I have to say, I haven't arrived. Have you arrived? Hands? Anybody? Okay. No guarantee. You're not sure. Uh, they or we will have been called out to something more, a called out people, something to which Christ is sufficient to bring us or them. They, we will have heard and responded to that call. Hearing and responding to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, that better resurrection, will only happen if folks have first heard the call and responded to the call to draw closer to Christ and the desire to lay hold of more of him. If you're not listening to that call, how are you going to hear the upward call? You need to be ready to listen to the Lord. So response, uh, that response is what allows him to prepare for that coming day. Years ago, many of you know, some of you may not, that a woman named Louise Foster started a Sunday school. She started it in a little lane school on 55th Street, uh, just down the street from where our old building was. She didn't plan to start a church, but it started as a Sunday school and turned into a church. And she was the pastor for many years. She didn't feel qualified. And I would say, naturally speaking, she didn't have a lot of education. She didn't have understanding of the world. But when I arrived as pastor, I found some folks that were deeply devoted to the Lord and to the word of God. So she didn't feel qualified, and she tried to get people to come, and those that were qualified wouldn't come, and those that were willing to come weren't qualified, so she just continued. But I can remember one night at a New Year's Eve service in the church where Brother Carson Richards was the pastor that Louise Foster stood and said a few words about the bride. And I wish that I had a phenomenal memory like my son and my father, but uh, I don't. I wish I could remember exactly what she said. But I knew this doctrine. I knew the scriptures involved, and it was obvious to me this is, this is Bible teaching. But it wasn't really mine. You know how sometimes you're reading in something that you've seen, and suddenly it jumps out at you. It's like, wow, I see this now. Suddenly, the Lord spoke to my heart. And it was no longer, I accept this intellectually. I knew this was something that was offered to me. And it's meant a lot to me. I felt a call from the Lord confirming that it was for me. And I have to say with Paul, not that I've already attained. Well, I got past that. I don't know where I am. I'll get to it in a minute. Maybe I didn't get this verse in here. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on. You know, I'm an old man now. I don't like to admit that. My body tells me and the mirror tells me. I'm an old man now. Don't imagine, young people, that you're going to come to a day when it's like, I've gotten there. 
If you do come to that day, you will know that your time is short. Paul said, as his time was short, henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord will give me at that day. But I haven't already attained. I'm not already perfected. I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But by faith, the Lord began to do a preparing work. In my life, we could consider more of how this preparation works accomplished, but instead I'm going to offer a reality check. Just understand there's a preparation that God wants to do. In, uh, in Psalm 23, the latter part of that verse, it says, He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. And then in 1 John 1 5, it says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Years ago, I began to see that among the churches that I'd grown up in, there was a carelessness and a laxness about some things. And I tried to talk to other pastors about it, and pretty much they'd get mad at me. You can't imagine that you're going to go forward to the full purpose of God and into the full counsel of God by carelessness, by ignoring some things that are wrong, by just giving people a pass because, because whatever. Um, and I will say with some sadness that this doctrine of the bride became just a kind of something it was what we taught and a lot of stuff got left out by too many people. Uh, I will say with sadness that there have been some who claim to have a desire for God's best, talked about the bride. Maybe didn't talk about anything but the bride. Uh, claimed to believe that they were going to receive God's best, but their lives displayed something wrong. And I, I won't say this part was widespread, but I saw some low, willful, corrupt, carnal walks among some of those folks, a walk in darkness. A complete disregard for the path of righteousness. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. We represent the Lord. And he wants us to represent him in those paths of righteousness. In other words, even though they claimed to be followers in fellowship of Christ, they were certainly not following him. Amos 3.3, 3, can two walk together? Unless they're agreed. You know, when, uh, when you're courting and the person you're courting doesn't really want to spend time with you because they're wanting to do things you're not interested in, it's not going to go very far, is it? We need to walk with him. John, First John 3, 3, and I'm going to hurry to try to finish up here, but, and everyone who has this hope, speaking of the coming of the Lord, the coming of the Lord for the ones that are preparing for that day is not just something theoretical or it's not just something we're all going to go up together. There, there's something going on here that's a preparation. If you really have this sure expectation, have this hope in him, purifies himself just as he is pure. And if a life does not show forth the purity of Christ, the new life that's in us. Now, the flesh is there. The flesh is going to be with you till the day you die. And that's why we have to say, you know, the work goes on, even into old age. 
uh, if if that purity isn't there, then the walk of that person is not one of closeness and fellowship with Christ. How then can we say that person is going to be in that company called the bride? Um, I, I could go to some passages. Uh, if our primary topic were the bride, I could add a little bit more on the subject. In uh, Genesis 24, the story of how Abraham sent his servant to find a bride for Isaac. She was called on to marry a man who she'd never met. A man about whom she had heard, but had no direct immediate knowledge of. And uh, yet there came a day, there came an hour, when a question was posed to Rebecca. Genesis twenty-four fifty-eight. they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. Now, there was a journey to follow. There were things to happen after that. But I would urge you to believe that the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart at any point, if you haven't heard it yet, and you hear that little call, will you go with this man? You've not seen him. It's a walk by faith. But will you go with that man? That's the time to respond. That's the time to choose. That's not The choice isn't the end of it because the choice is multiplied many times down through the years. We could go to the Song of Solomon. A preacher I met years ago just dismissed the Song of Solomon out of hand. It's just a love poem. Well, it is that, but it's not just a love poem. Jesus expressed a different view when he said in John five thirty nine, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have salvation or eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. If the scriptures testify of the Lord Jesus Christ, the song of Solomon is about who? The Lord Jesus Christ. And you combine that with New Testament scriptures, we see it as a picture of Christ and those who will someday constitute the bride. And if the Holy Spirit gave over a whole book to this topic, How is it that some disparage it, ignore it, see it as being obscure, unimportant, or with some even false? We could go to Psalm 45 if you picked up one of the handouts. I think there may be one or two over there. But Brother Seiss went to Psalm 45 and he suddenly realized, wow, there's the queen, but there's all these others. Uh, But the bride is not our primary topic in this series nor our spiritual rewards in general, uh, nor the other imagery used to speak of God's best and of our laying hold of that for which Christ laid hold of us. I'm going to depart from my notes one more time, then I'll finish with a couple of scriptures. Years ago, Brother Richards gave a series of lessons that he titled A Career People. Maybe I've told this story recently. It seems like maybe I have, but be that as it may, he never spoke of the bride once. He touched on all of these other pictures of what it means to lay hold of everything that God has. Brother Don Newman came to me later and he said, Brother David, does Brother Richard believe in the bride? (laughs) I said, Don, he was talking about the bride all week long. He just didn't use the buzzword. Well, that's not our primary topic. 
Instead, I'm going to close this section on the sufficiency of Christ with a couple of passages. Hebrews 12:2, the beginning of that verse. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. When we get saved, we have eternal life. And if that's the finish, he, well, he did it. There's some finishing to be done. There's that uttermost that he wants to take us to. Philippians 1, verse 6, this was spoken to a people that were devoted, were committed to the Lord, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Child of God, Jesus is enough. Whatever the Lord sets before you, whatever your heart is willing to accept, Jesus is enough to bring it about. And I thank God for that. Otherwise, I just have to count myself out. Thank God. Jesus is enough.